0: And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people.
1: Thanks, Rachel. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, God, as we heard the words of Romans 10, as we continue in this teaching series through this book of Romans, Lord God, your word is very clear. You don't you don't hide it, you don't mask it or veil it. You make salvation very clear, the means of salvation very clear. So God, as we come here today, and as we gather both in this room and online, we come with a mutual hunger and a mutual thirst to learn more about you, to be transformed, to be more like you. So God, give us hope, give us encouragement, give us conviction all the things that you desire of us in this moment as we rally our hearts around the teaching of your word. Holy Spirit, be our instructor. And God, may we leave here, not with just more information, but with transformation. We ask this in Jesus' name, all of us sit together. Amen. Well, again, welcome to Cuyahoga Valley Church today, and a big welcome to you if you're a guest. We're so glad that you're here. And for all of you watching online, thank you for being with us today. Uh, Just a couple things before I dive into the teaching. Um, Just a little bit of landscape for you. Uh, there's a lot of talk in Romans. As we've been going through this book, um, Romans, and this teaching series, Right With God, there's a lot of talk about Israel and the Jews and Gentiles. And uh, there's, there's a study there. There's a beautiful understanding of that. And so next week, I'm going to be inviting back our friend, Rabbi Eric um, Lakatas from Tikvot Israel. He's a Messianic Jewish rabbi. And uh, as we look at Romans 11 next week, we're going to hear from him a little bit from a a Jewish perspective on some of those passages. We'll just have a a little bit of an interview time uh, during the teaching with him and I. So that'll that'll be interesting. And then also, as we've been going through the book of Romans, there's just some difficult topics. You know, we we talked about one of them last week with election, and there's been some other you know passages with some um, neat neat things. In a few weeks, we're going to be doing a panel again. And myself and a few other of our teachers are going to gather, and we're going to take questions from you over the next few weeks. And so as we've been going through the book of Romans, or as, as, as uh, you see stuff coming up, if, if you see things or like, I don't know what that means, or can you explain that more, uh, we'll be taking questions from you uh, through email and through cards. So just be aware of that and be prepared for that as we uh, come up on that time. I just wanted to share that with you. Well, Rachel just read all of Romans 10. We're not going to teach on every single verse, but we're going to look at a bulk of them as we continue in the series, and as, we, as, we, uh, as I was preparing for this message, one of the concepts or illustrations that hit me as I was studying was uh, something that I actually do almost every morning. Um, some of you probably do it too. One of the first things I do when I wake up in the morning is I go right to my blinds. I don't know about you guys, but I've got to open my blinds in the morning. It just feels so wrong. So depressing to like wake up and the sun is trying to beat in through the window. <laughs> However often we get the sun in Cleveland, you know what I'm saying? But when the sun is out, which we've had a lot of it lately, yes. Um, and it's trying to beat through the window. It just feels wrong to keep those blinds closed. I want to want to open those blinds up and sometimes yank them open and open the window and just let it all in, you know? Just go window by window by window by window through my house, just opening every blind. And, and uh, by nature, blinds are intended to be open to let things in or closed to keep things out. And so the only reason I close those blinds is, you know, maybe I don't want light in for some reason because, you know, we want it to be dark for sleeping or maybe the curious eyeballs, the neighbors, you know, are like, you know, we're going to keep you out now, you know, or um, maybe it's because we put the little kids down. And those of you with little um, kids that can relate to this, uh, our dog just is going to bark at anything that moves outside. Like, you know, an ant moves, she's barking, you know, so we'll shut the blinds to keep her from seeing what's out there. Other than that, let the light in, you know, let there be light, you know. And so love opening the blinds. And when I was looking at this passage and and listening to Rachel read those um, words, I think we come to this real understanding that we live in a window of opportunity. That God is letting the light of his love, of his forgiveness, of his gospel, if you will, shine into our lives. And what our hope and our prayer is, is that we don't have the blinds of our hearts closed. And the people that we love and care about, we don't want them to have the blinds of the heart closed. Closed as God is trying to shine in the light of His message, His love, forgiveness, and the gospel. And the words that we just heard, and I invite you right now to open up your Bibles, Romans 10, chapter 10, and join along. The words that we're going to look at, the words that we've heard in Romans 10, these are the words of the Apostle Paul. And God used him to write this book. And as you look at those words and as you listen to these words, they carry a burden. There's a burden in His words, there's a weight as he expresses a desire in his heart and a focus of his prayers for them to be saved. And as you look at that, you know, Romans 10:1 as Paul's talking about this desire in his heart and this prayer that he has for them to be saved, two things we need to just tackle right on the top here is who is the them that he's talking about and for the sake of anybody who may not know or be familiar with this term, what does it mean to be saved? Well, Paul was a Jewish man who became a follower of Jesus Christ. And so the them that he is referring to here is his fellow Jews. And although God called him and and has uh, equipped him to be a tool, an instrument, a vessel to share the good news of his forgiveness through the death and resurrection of Jesus to non-Jews, primarily, Paul has never left this burden in his heart for his brethren. The Jews. And he wants them so badly to hear what he's heard and to see what he sees and to believe what he's believed, and that the blinds of their heart would be opened up to an understanding of who Jesus, Yeshua, is and to be saved. Now, saved as a word means basically the rescuing of our very souls from eternal condemnation and hell and the securing of our souls. For eternal life in heaven. When we think about the word saved, it's basically a twofold understanding is that we're saved from hell, but we're also saved for heaven. And we always forget that second part. We always think about just being plucked out of the clutches of hell. We say amen to that. But we also need to realize the joy that we've been saved for heaven through a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. And so you get saved when you hear and believe in this good news known as the gospel. And we've thrown this definition a few times out to you uh, during this series. I want to lay it again before you, the, the understanding of what the gospel is. The gospel is the message that God has made relationship with him and forgiveness from him available exclusively through faith and belief in Jesus Christ and his dying on the cross for our sin and raising from the grave to us, offer us eternal life to be made right with him. That's the gospel. And as we Heard these verses. As we look at these verses, we realize again that uh, God has this window of opportunity that He's opened for people to be saved. And we saw in Romans 10.1 that you know it talks about that they may be saved. There's an opportunity. Romans ten thirteen, all who call. There's opportunity. Romans ten eighteen, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. Opportunity. Romans ten twenty one, all day long I held on my hands. God is saying, there's opportunity. And so while this window of opportunity to be saved is open, we don't want people to close the blinds of their heart. And while this opportunity is open, I see three types of faith that exist here in Romans chapter 10. Three types of faith. And I just want to look at those with you, and hopefully God will use these to bring understanding into your heart and my heart as we look at them. The first faith that we see that exists in this window of opportunity is a barren faith. It's, it's dead, it's empty, it doesn't produce anything that will actually make us right with God. It's a barren faith. Look at, look at Romans chapter 10, verses two through uh, three with me again. God is saying through the apostle Paul, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Uh, the Jewish people were zealous for God. They, but it was a misguided zeal. And they lived out this effort to try to be made right with God by doing it through good works and through law, by obeying law, and attempting to establish their own righteousness to please God that was based on works and it was based on um, rules and rituals. That's not faith. It's empty. It's barren. I love what uh, Pastor uh, Warren Wiersbe said about this. He says, there's a ignorance that comes from the lack of opportunity but Israel had had many opportunities to be saved. In their case, it was an ignorance that stemmed from willful, stubborn resistance to the truth. They would not submit to God. They were proud of their own good works and religious self-righteousness and would not admit their sin or trust the Savior. And so the barrier to belief for these people was the pride of their works and the trust of self-righteousness. And Paul was carrying this, and it burdened him. And he goes on to say, look at verses 4 through 5 with me. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. And so by Jesus Christ, God in the flesh coming, and dying on the cross and raising from the grave, the need to try to please God through works, through law, through rules, through ritual ceased. It became very clear that it was an object of faith alone in Christ that would make you right with God. And so we're not saved by both works and faith, right? We understand that. We're not saved by faith in Christ, but then we have to add works into it. We've got to try to be good on top of it. We're not saved by this combination of the two. And yet there's this interesting dance that we understand that God has saved us for good works. And we've talked about this here before, that to be saved, to be right with God, um, we don't do good works to be saved. We do good works because we're saved. And so that's such an important understanding for us as we understand this dance between works and faith. But the point of verse five here is that if you believe law, if you believe you you can only be made right with God through works and law and religion, then you're going to be a slave to that. You're going to live by that, always suffering the need to feel like you have to do more, and that faith is barren. Jesus died on the cross and rose for us to free us from depending on law and rules and ritual and works. In verses 6 through 7, as we continue on, it says, But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Here the apostle Paul is quoting an Old Testament verse to try to help them understand that what they're looking for has been provided in Christ. And so he goes back, all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy, the Old Testament law, and, and, and when those commandments came, and he's using a loose you know, quote of Deuteronomy for them to understand how Christ fulfills what they're looking for. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 to 14, this is what we see there. It says, For this commandment that I've commanded you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. Uh, It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? The very hope that Paul is trying to convey to his Jewish brothers here that they're looking for to be made right with God was not something that had to be pulled down from heaven somehow. Like if it could just fall out of the sky, if someone could go up to heaven and tell us how to be made right with God, um, that would do it. Or if someone would get on a boat and sail to wherever that information is and and bring it back and say, look, God came down from heaven in the flesh, Jesus. And, and, And you don't go looking for something to be dug up from the ground, you know, from the abyss, from the depths that's going to give you, you know, the answer you're looking for because Jesus went into the depths and rose. And so he's making this comparison of what you're looking for is found in Christ. And so stop looking everywhere else for something to do the trick of what you're looking for to be made right with God because it's been provided for in Christ. And so a barren faith is still waiting for something other than Jesus to do the trick, something to fall from the sky something that can be dug up from the earth to tell us how to act, tell us something to do to be made right with God. And there may still be some of you here stuck in that place. Some of you online might be watching right now, and you're still stuck in that place. You love Jesus. You've trusted in Jesus Christ. You believe in your heart that he came and that he died on the cross for your sin and that he um, miraculously rose from the grave because the grave can't hold God himself but you still find yourself believing that your behavior and your works play a part in being saved. If you're hearing me and you're going, I think that's me, I have two very deep, profound theological words for you. Stop it. We got to stop it because God's provided the way to be made right, right with him through Jesus and it's, it's really basically insulting for us to go, Jesus, you died on the cross, you rose from the grave, and I believe in that, but your blood's not enough. I have to do good things to complete the deal. I somehow have to contribute what I have to offer to make me right with you. And, and what happens is uh, we get that nagging voice of superstitious you know, insecurity talking in our ears, or maybe we've had some sort of religious upbringing or conditioning in our life that somehow gets us thinking that we still have to act our way to be in relationship with God instead of just receiving God's simple gift of grace. And we have to stop it because when we keep defaulting back to I've got to be good to get right with God, we're basically being robbed of the joy and the hope and the simplicity that's just found in Jesus. Just embrace the relationship, embrace the gift, and then yes, good things will flow from you because you're saved, not to be saved. And so Paul's heart was burdened for the people that were stuck here. This this truth of what he's trying to explain was so near to them, but yet so far. It wasn't in them. And so he's trying to hope that he's praying and hoping that the blinds of their heart would be opened. And that's something that we should all be doing too. We all know people. We all know people that are far from God, and we need to continue to hope that no matter how far from God they are, they never are beyond God's reach. Right. Like, we're reading about a man, we're reading from a man that God used who hated Christians. (laughs) He persecuted them. He did a lot of bad things. He would have been at the top of our list of like, that guy's never going to get saved. And he got saved. Why? Because nobody's beyond God's grasp. But whoever is on your mind, like, when I start talking like that, you start, all of you are thinking about somebody, well, I don't know about that, this person will probably never get saved. And they are never beyond God's grasp. No heart is too hard that God can't soften. And no person can run so far that God can't reach them. But on top of that, we also know people who, like Paul talking about, they're so close that, like, the truth is so close to them, but it's not in them yet. And we all know people who, um, man, they're, they're putting their trust, that, like, they love God, they believe in God somehow. They're not yet in relationship with Him necessarily. And, and, and they're trying to be in relationship with God by trying to be good and moral and religious and obey the laws and say certain prayers and, you know, eat or don't eat certain things and all those kinds of things. And we're going, you're so close, but... You're so far. The truth is near you, but it's not in you. And at that point in time, you understand how Paul felt as he was thinking about his brethren, his Jewish friends, his family that didn't know. And so we all know people like that. And and the good news is that no one is beyond God's reach. And so maybe it's even you. Maybe you're sitting here today going, the person you're describing right now is actually not someone just that I know, but it's me. I'm trying to get to God through being good going to church. That's why I'm here. I'm here at church today because if I go to church, maybe God will let me in, you know? And God has got you in the right spot, all right, but not so that you can be here to do something to earn his favor because you can't do that. Just to hear the simple message that he loves you, he came for you, he died for you, he rose from you, and now you can just be in a relationship with him through faith, through trust. Otherwise, you're going to have a barren faith. And if you have a barren faith, it's not going to produce what you need to get right with God. And he wants you to move to the second faith that we see here, which is a believing faith. We see here that the second faith we see evident in this passage is a believing faith. Look at verses 8 through 10 with me. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. And before I read verses 9 and 10, I just want to say these two verses have been some of the most significant verses in my life personally as a follower of Christ. When I came to Christ as a teenager and started to grow in the understanding of God, there were definitely times over the course of my spiritual journey that I felt like, man, maybe God doesn't love me and bad stuff's happening to me, so maybe God's punishing me or maybe that bonehead decision I made has disqualified me from God or from heaven. And and then when those things kicked in, when I saw Romans 10, 9, and 10, it was like all lights, fireworks, everything went off. Blinds open, blinds yanked off the window, window kicked out, you know what I'm saying? Like it just came flooding in, the simplicity and, and, and the solidity of this section of Scripture. That in verse 9 we see, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, everyone say these next four words with me, you will be saved. And what's the punctuation mark after saved? Period. Is it an ellipsis? Is there a parenthesis there that, you know, oh, by the way, you also have to dot, dot, dot? No. And so I, I just keep coming back. It was other than Jesus wept and John three sixteen. This was the next section of verses I memorized, <laughs> growing up. And so when when I learned, I was like, Wait, I, I I I've confessed with my mouth that Jesus is my Lord, and I truly believe in my heart that He came and He died and He rose. So. I'm good. I don't need to be tormented by insecurity. I don't need to be tormented by a lack of assurance that I'm not going to go to heaven because I did something. Because what was seen there was true of me. And so when a person hears the message of God's love and forgiveness made available through the death and resurrection of Jesus, and this window of opportunity for belief becomes so evident that a person moves into receiving and believing this gospel, the blinds are open, And the light comes in, and we find belief and faith and salvation in this new life. And as we can see here, this belief is not all of a sudden something that comes in and is private and quiet. Some of us have been taught that. Hey, your your spiritual beliefs are just for you and you alone. Like, that's private. I mean, it just cracks me up that when you meet someone and you want to develop a deeper friendship or get married or whatever, it's like, well, we're not going to talk about religion or politics. I'm like, well, for one, what I believe is going to affect how I vote, so that, whatever. And, and how can I not share with you what I believe? And what we see here is this, this, this double you know, a whammy here of like, if I'm going to believe, it's going to come out. It's going to be confessed. I can't help not do it. And so I'm going to confess what's going on in my heart. It's not something that we don't believe in Jesus, and he gets locked up in like in a little diary or a little box somewhere in our heart, and we throw away the key, and we're just really quiet about it. Like, where's that in the Bible? You're not going to find it. It's something that we live out. something that we speak out when we have true, genuine faith. You know, even Jesus said this, if you remember, in Matthew 15, 18, he said, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. So let's just break that down with simple math. If Jesus doesn't come out of the mouth, then maybe he's not in the heart. And if Jesus is in the heart, then he's going to come out of our mouth. It's as basic as that. Because if we believe in our heart, then we will confess with our mouth. They go together. They go together. One oversight in this whole understanding that I don't want us um, to make, we don't want to make this oversight at all, is when we look at this um, confess that Jesus is Lord, we need to understand what we're really saying there. When you understand the English translation of our word Lord, it means master and owner, and that's definitely what God is. But when you do the deeper study on this, you've got to go back to the original languages and really unpack this to understand the weight of what it means to confess Jesus as Lord. Because as we know, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And the name of God in Hebrew was Yahweh, Yahweh. And so when the Old Testament Hebrew was translated into the Greek, a book we know as the Septuagint, they took the word Yahweh and translated it into the Greek word Kyrios. And Kyrios, when we started translating in English, was translated Lord. So to confess Jesus as Lord means you're confessing him as Kyrios, which means you're confessing him as Yahweh, which means to confess that Jesus is Lord means that you confess that Jesus is God. Nothing else hits the mark. Well, Jesus was a good teacher, Jesus was a good prophet, Jesus uh, was a religious man, Jesus was just God's son all misses the mark because you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Kyrios, Yahweh, God. And anyone that can't confess that Jesus is God is not truly placing their faith in who Jesus is. That's the depth of these words. That's the depth of this understanding. And, and this is where I, I might be stepping on some toes. I just know I do it in love, okay? This is, this is why you get frustrated and sad with Christians that that I love them enough to start to get nosy in their life, you know, because I think when we are brothers and sisters in Christ, God gives us an all-access pass to love each other a little bit, you know? And when I start seeing, like, guys and girls dating, you know, people, like, hey, man, you know, my new boyfriend, my new girlfriend, or you start to see people making deep friendships with folks, or they're even engaged, you know, you're starting to, you know, attach a heart to these people. I'll say, well, hey, does that person know the Lord, or does that person, um, you know, love Jesus? Or sometimes after someone's passed away, and we're talking about the loved one. So, well, do you know if the, the, your loved one knew the Lord? And in those situations, think about the language sometimes we hear come back. Well, they believe in God. And, and I'll, I'll just be very transparent. Like a little pop-up bubble in my head pops up going, well, the devil believes in God. So how is their belief in God any different than the devil's belief in God? But I don't necessarily say that because I don't want to get slapped. But anyways, well, they believe in God. Oh, I want to tell about my new boyfriend. That's great. Hey, does he love Jesus? Oh, he goes to church. Okay, that's good. That's a start. Oh, yeah, I want to tell about my new girlfriend, man. She's, she's great gal stuff. And, oh, good. Does she love the Lord? Oh, well, she, she goes, you know, she reads the Bible every now and then. Okay, that's good. That's good. And then you start to think about all these things. Either they go to church. They're religious. Oh, they're religious. They love God. I'm going, have they confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord? Do they believe in their heart? That God raised him from the dead. Look, this is not an area where we should compromise. This is not an area where we should be fooled or we should be foolish. can't play games with attaching our hearts into relationships with people who can't believe and confess the same. And a lot of people, out of hope and optimism, attach themselves to someone who doesn't share that belief only for days, months, years later for that to come out and cause turmoil in a relationship that you didn't need to endure. Man, we need to make sure we're attached our hearts to people who can say the same thing. And this verse makes it so clear, so clear, that if you've believed in your heart, man, that God raised him from the dead, and if you confess it with your mouth, you'll be saved. Now, here's what I want to do. I just want to pause right here because very likely in a group this size, I know if you're watching online, I'm I'm including you, that there may be a few of you here that as I'm talking, you're going, you're talking about me. Like, I'm religious, I go to church, I believe in God, but I have never come to that place where I've realized that God has demonstrated his love for me by coming in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, and although I've heard that name, I've never fully understood that his hanging on the cross was a, was a death that was paid for my sins? Everything that separated me from God, Jesus paid for on the cross? And that when they put him in the grave, it was just three days later, he rose? I've never trusted in that alone. The blinds of my heart have been closed. And right now, the blinds of your heart are opening. And you're realizing that you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior. And you've never confess with your mouth that Jesus is God, and you've never truly believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, but this is the moment that you're starting to believe that. For the sake of anyone here in this room that wants to do that, I want to I give you that opportunity right now, right now, and so I'm going to ask us all, I'm just going to ask out of respect for the moment, let's just all pray, let's all bow our heads and close our eyes, and if, if you're a follower of Christ, here's what I'm going to ask you to do, just be praying for those in this room and those watching online, that this might be a fit of where they are spiritually. Maybe God's putting the names of someone else on your heart right now. Be faithful to pray for them right now that God would open the blinds of their heart. But if you're here in this room and you've never made that profession of faith, here's a moment that, if it's authentic and genuine, you can do that. And let's just pray. Say, God, I'm just I'm lifting up this moment right now, Lord, that we're all here together, Lord. I pray that many of the people in this room. I pray almost all of the people in this room, Lord have done what we've seen here in Romans 10 to 9 and 10. God, that with our heart, that we we truly believe and we're made right with you and it's gonna come out of our mouth. Lord God, I know that many in this room as I look around have done that. Lord God, it's very likely that some people watching online, some people in this room have never done that. And God, I don't wanna miss this window of opportunity that you've given to provide that opportunity to really truly believe. And if that's you here today, I just wanna lead you in a prayer. I wanna make it very clear. It's not this prayer that saves you. It's not any word that you repeat. It's that you truly believe in your heart and that you're reconciling this with the Lord right now. And so if that's you right now, here's what I'm inviting you to pray. So, dear God, the blinds of my heart have been closed. But right now they're open. I've been trusting in myself. I've been trusting in religion. I've been trusting in someone else or something else. But right here, right now, I trust in you as my Savior. I believe that you died and you rose for me, and I place my faith in you and you alone right now. In Jesus' name. And if that's you, I want to to respect this one. Just keep your head bowed, keep your eyes closed. If you actually prayed that prayer for the very first time, would you just raise your hand high so I could see it? Is there anybody here today? Thank you. Is there anyone else here today that you pray that? Thank you, thank you. First time you've ever done that. Just raise it up. Hold it up for a minute so I can see it. That's awesome. I'm going to challenge you to be bold. Everyone can look up for me. I'm going to challenge you to be bold. If you've raised your hand, that means that you, in this moment, believed. And and, and you've started this relationship, and you don't want to let it just stop there. You're starting something new, like a newborn baby. And you need to grow and be matured and all those kinds of things. We want to help you. And so here's my challenge for you. Um, There's a response card in front of you. Would you pull that out and fill it out here over the next, you know, we've still got about another, you know, 10 minutes or so. Um, And before you leave, I'm going to have just a couple friends over in this front row. They would just love to take that card, give you a Bible, a couple steps about how you can grow. Would you take that first step of growth? Would you take that initiative to follow up on this crossing of line of faith that you just gave? That's my challenge to you. For the rest of us, it goes into this third faith that we've talked about, which is a broadcasted faith. A broadcasted faith. Once you know Christ, you proclaim Christ. You can't help it. Like anything else that we're excited about, it just comes out of us. And we look at Romans 10.13, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we all have friends and family members and all these people that need to be saved. And so we're going to broadcast this message. Look at at verses 14 through 18 with me in Romans 10. How then will they call on him on whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You know, when we look at those verses... We, start, we just say amen in our spirit. We go, yes. And they're not going to believe unless they hear it. Yes, I believe that. And, and they're not, they're not going to hear it unless someone goes and preaches it. I, I, I agree with that. So that's why I bring them to church, and that's why I'm going to stick my pastor on them. He's the preacher. And yes, that's part of it. it. Inviting people to church is huge. And definitely every person on ministry staff doesn't mind sharing the gospel. But this does not exclude you. This verse is talking about you. How beautiful the feet of those who preach good news. It says, how are they to preach unless they are sent? Newsflash, if you're here, if you're watching online, and you are a Christian, and you love Jesus, guess what? You're sent. That is you. Where's my name in the Bible? Right there. Right before that question mark, sent. Just insert your name. And how are they to preach unless Joe is sent? Renee is sent. Go. Go. Because as you go through life at work, the neighborhood, the office, environments that you're all in, watching soccer, you know, with your friends, everywhere you go, you're sent mm-hmm. to broadcast this faith, to have beautiful feet to share. When I talk about broadcast, I'm thinking about the agricultural aspect, that the, as we pray and as we speak the gospel, as we speak about the Lord, it's like seeds that are just getting cast out. And we're, we're just... We're just saying, you know, every time you have a conversation with somebody, hey, you know what? I'll be praying for you. Hey, you know, may, may I have permission to share with you what I've learned? And you tell them a little bit about Jesus. And you're not obnoxious, you're not aggressive, you're not a punk about it, but you just lovingly, respectfully tell them about what God's done in your life. You start to broadcast the seed. And pretty soon you realize it's a lot more fun to do this. <laughs> and that's our life. We step out each day, all right, Lord. i walked walk into my doctor's office, bam, you know. You're visiting with your neighbor on the back porch, talking about life. (gasps) You know what's beautiful about that? We're not the farmer. We don't provide the seed. We're just the broadcaster. We're just the tool that God uses to get it out. I don't know. He doesn't have to use us. We're, We're broken. We're messy. But he uses us. And so we have a broadcasted faith. That, that, that's our life as a believer. In Mark 16, 15, Jesus said, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. As you look at that verse, let me ask you, is there any way out of doing that if you're a follower of Christ? Is there a caveat? Is there a disclaimer? Is it, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. My friends, how are you proclaiming the gospel? How are you speaking God's love and forgiveness and relationship to those he's brought into your life and bringing you into others' lives? So we started this year with this initiative we're calling New Life 1024. And it's something we're carrying through the whole year. And I just want to remind you the the value of this and and how we can use this. And and what we said is we'd love to see 10,000 names prayed for in this year. So far, we've got just about 7,300 on the wall back there. This is a picture of the wall we have back there. Those are all cards that you've turned in with names. By the way, if you've never done that, you can get one at the counter, fill out names, we'll put it on the wall. And you and whoever finds himself in that room are praying for those names. Thousands of names of people being prayed for that the blinds of the heart would be open. We said, man, if all of us had two gospel conversations a month, that's like 24,000 gospel conversations. You know, a secret is, I'm not really... I'm not really after hitting hit in the number. I'm just wanting to see the intentionality of our body raised. And it has been. It has been. I mean, we've had 164 responses to Christ so far. And we're praying for 500. God could do that. We said, hey, share your stories about these conversations you're having online. We've got 40-something of those stories. And we'd love to hear more. But I just want to share this with you. And I, and, I, and I say this to the glory of God. At the beginning of the year, when I sat down in front of my car, I was like, Lord, who do you want on my list? And the very first name on number one, I put the name Ed. Because God put him on my heart. So I just started praying for Ed. Then all of a sudden, God opened up conversation with Ed. And I started talking to Ed. And we started hanging out. And we started, you know, he, he started getting working out. And I'm like, I want to work out some more. So we started going to the gym. Sometimes we'd go to the gym together. And we'd be visiting for a few minutes before, you know, working out. And the conversation would turn about life and turn spiritual. And it just got to the point. I'd be looking at Ed going, Ed, you know the answer. You just need Jesus. You just need to be saved, man. You just need to surrender your heart to Christ. I know, I know. I just, you know, and start, you know, the blinds were kind of partially, you know. It's so cool to see the process because Ed's wife has been a believer for years and she's been praying for him for years. And as of January, the prayers for him increased. Me and others have been praying for him. He started coming to church, hardly ever missing, hearing the gospel over and over and over again, hearing the truth of God's word over and over and over again. And then a few weeks ago, he was sitting here, hearing the gospel again after many times, but the blinds opened. And he looked at the words on the screen, and he believed in his heart that Jesus came and died on that cross for him and rose to the for him. And he professed with his mouth, I believe. And you know, it was so cool a couple of weeks ago to sit down at dinner with him and his family and, and for him to look at me and say, I've given my life to Christ. And for me to go, that's awesome. And I said, can I confess something? You're on my card as number one. I've been praying for you for a long time. (laughs) He just grinned. I figured something was up. But I was just one of several things that God was using in the process. You're just going to be one of several things that God's going to use in the process. We don't want to fail our watch. We don't want to fail our watch. We don't want to not be broadcasting. And so who's on your card? Who are you talking to? Please don't fatigue don't fatigue in your prayer for those who don't know the Lord. Don't fatigue or get distracted from sharing the best news that could ever be known. You know, at the end of that chapter, it talks about God holding it on his hands to people who don't even want to know. We just got to keep doing that. We keep telling the message to people who don't even want to know. Let's pray. God, Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight, today, this morning. God, there's so much more in this passage that we could... Just unpack, Lord, but God, in this moment, we've heard enough of the essentials. And God, I pray for all of us as believers watching online, here in this room, Lord, that you would refresh and renew our zeal to love you and to share you and to be praying for others, Lord, who don't know you. God, may we never quit. There's so many that need to have the blinds of their heart open. And God, may we never shut the blinds of our heart to those outside who don't know. God, help us be faithful to pray and share. So God, take our lives. You've given them as a gift. We give them back to you as a gift. Lord, take our lives as a gift for the use of your kingdom. God, take the gifts we're about to receive as a community, Lord. Take them and multiply them so that more people in Northeast Ohio and beyond will come to know the gospel. More people will believe and confess. So God, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name, we all said.